Open your Bible with me this morning to Matthew chapter 14. We're going to get there in a minute. Um, But I want to start by uh, just reminding everyone we're in our 40 days of prayer, having a great time. I hope you're reading your book, Draw the Circle, and continuing to pray about the things that you've drawn a circle around, whether that's a person or a promise or a problem. Uh, If you're new this morning, uh, we are in the middle of a prayer series. We've been praying, we're going to pray for 40 days in a row. On the back wall, you'll see a circle with a bunch of prayer requests in it. If you want to put a prayer request in there before you go, you can. There's a table in the back with a circle. You can write your prayer request in it, put it in the circle. And then when God answers it, we're taking a piece of string and putting it from the request outside and putting a little answer on the circle. So if God has done that, uh, please show us your answered prayer before you leave. I thought I'd start this morning with a a recent answer to prayer that we had. Um, Last Sunday, Pastor Kate was teaching in Faith Kids, and Faith Kids right now is going through a series of messages about prayer as well that go along with our messages. And so we're kind of excited. I I taught there two weeks ago and it's a great time. But Pastor Kate was talking to all the kids and kind of asking them what they want to pray for. And one of the little boys says, well, I know this is a long shot, but could we pray for me to get a puppy? (laughs) And Pastor Kate said, sure, we'll pray for you to get a puppy, you know, but He's thinking in the back of his mind, you know, I'm not really sure mom wants a puppy, and I'm not sure, you know, what's going to happen. And we have a puppy, so Kate, in the back of her mind, is thinking, uh, maybe not, (laughs) but we'll see what God does. Well, on Saturday, that little boy got a puppy, so God was at work, right? Isn't it good that God gives us the desires of our hearts? Amen. He is a good God. Well, let's begin this morning. I'm going to open with a quick word of prayer. Lord, thanks for this morning. Thank you for your word. We're so thankful for what we're going to see this morning in uh, your life, Jesus. You modeled some great things for us in Matthew 14, and we want to see what you did, what you said, and how you lived so that we can live the same today. I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to what you're saying this morning, and the Holy Spirit, you would speak to us in a powerful way. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. In 1930... So go back a a couple generations. In 1930, a popular economist named John Maynard said this, in the future, working hours will be short and vacations long. Our grandchildren will work around three hours a day and probably only by choice. That was 1930. We haven't quite solved that problem, have we? (laughs) Uh, Maybe we should. That sounds like a good one for us to figure out, right? Working only by choice. Here's what's interesting. In 1930, from really about, gosh, 1880s, 1890s to the 1930s, there was just an explosion of technology. I mean, we see an explosion now as well, but can you imagine going from all you ever did was walking to now there's cars in everybody's driveways? I mean, that's a massive explosion of economic growth, of technological advancement, and it had actually shrunk the working hour of the typical working male and female in 1930 considerably. And so there was no reason to believe that this trend would continue. After all, we we were riding a horse, and now I have a whizzing car. I have all these time-saving tools and appliances in my house. 
I can do a whole lot more with my time than I could before so that, it, you know, by the time my grandkids are around, it's going to be amazing. Well, that didn't quite work. What's interesting is compared to 1930 to today, our technological advancement is astounding. But we haven't solved this problem. We haven't solved the problem and the challenge that you and I are still busier than ever. The American way of life is to be busy. In fact, we think busy is a badge of honor. We wear it on our chest proudly. If we tell people we are busy, we feel successful, we feel important. Being busy is almost becoming a status symbol. When people tell us that we're busy, we take it as a compliment. There's a general assumption that it's good to be busy. And we understand that this is kind of a fine line. It's obviously good to be busy, but maybe not too busy. It's better to be busy than to be idle, amen? But we also live in this production-oriented society that is very high. So being busy has become a way that we identify ourselves. And if you're not busy, we think maybe there's something wrong with you. Or if you're doing nothing today, maybe you need to reprioritize so that you're doing something. Because we become a production-oriented society. And add to that that most of the things we do as Americans, we do in excess. So now we're doing busyness in excess. Which brings us to a good question. Is being busy good or bad? Is it good or bad? In 2015, some doctors and some pediatricians and even a lawyer was on the panel. And some uh, sociologists, professors, counselors, all got together and wanted to do a study to discover what's happening in our culture with the busy lives that we have. And here's what they discovered about people that are busy. When we're busy, we aren't present in the moment. We opt out of good opportunities. We confuse motion for progress. We don't prioritize effectively. We make excuses for actual problems. We're more prone to multitask, and that stresses our brain out. We forget to invest in ourselves and love and care for ourselves. Our future vision gets blurry. We don't make time for doing nothing. We equate patience with complacency. We unconsciously sacrifice consistency. We don't have time to think. We neglect to set, set boundaries. We aren't working at our best potential. Our friends quickly become acquaintances. We become emotionally unavailable. We forget to dream. We put our health at risk. And we forget our why for living. Now, it's apparent from this study that there actually are a lot of issues that come into our life when we're busy. It causes our hearts and our minds to get off kilter a little bit. At this point, I think it's fair to say 
that we're probably not going to change our busy world. That's probably apparent for all of us, and it's evident in our culture and in our world that we're probably not going to stop the busy train. But we can change something in our life. We can make some adjustments in our heart and in our mind and with our time and in our families and in our homes. And that's what I'd like to talk about this morning. I'd like to submit to you this morning that prayer is an answer for our busy lives. That finding time to be in God's presence is something very helpful for our life. That prayer becomes a rescue from the rat race, a time to rejuvenate your soul, a moment to release your burdens to Christ, an opportunity to be filled fresh with the power of the Holy Spirit and a daily retreat from the busyness of our culture. I'm going to submit to you this morning that that's where you and I are called to live, that in the middle of our busy seasons and our busy days and our busy holidays and our busy lives, that you and I must find time to be with our Heavenly Father. It's absolutely critical for our life. Now, I'd like to use Matthew chapter 14 to show this to you. Matthew chapter 14 was a moment in Jesus' life where he had two very busy days, very busy moments. Let me summarize the chapter for you, but you could follow along with me if you'd like as you look at it in your Bible or look at it on your phone or your electronic device. You can follow along. Matthew 14 starts with a gruesome murder and an abuse of power. A gruesome murder of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was in prison because Herod, the king, had thrown him in prison because John the Baptist was always out in public saying that Herod was a sinner because Herod had taken his brother's wife away from him and married his brother's wife. So he stole his brother's wife and made him his own. So in the first century, what we discover is blood is not thicker than water and that brothers still fight about everything. Herod stole his, his brother's wife. And so John would publicly say that that was wrong. Herod didn't like that, so Herod had him arrested, threw him in prison, and Herodias, Herod's new wife, hated John. Well, one day at Herod's birthday... Herodias' daughter danced what was most likely a very sexual and provocative dance, and Herod liked it so much that he said, I'll give you whatever you want as a gift for your dance. And there was a large crowd of very influential people in the room. The daughter went and asked her mom, what should I ask for? And the mom said, why don't you go ask for the head of John the Baptist on a platter? So she did. And so Herod had him killed and brought his head immediately into the room on a platter. After that moment, John the Baptist's disciples took John's body, buried it in the ground, and then they went and found Jesus in the northern part of the kingdom to tell Jesus what had happened. At that moment, Jesus was hanging out by the Sea of Galilee, and he had a large group of people that were hanging around him in that moment, and Jesus got the news from John's disciples and his heart began to break. So the Bible tells us that, John, that Jesus got in a boat and just head out into the water. 
But when he came back to land, there were all those people again. They had just followed him on the shore. And here they were. And the Bible says that Jesus had compassion on them and healed all their sick. And so while Jesus wanted this moment to get away and to process his grief and his pain and his heartache, he really didn't have a moment to do that. He got to do it for a moment, but not as long as he wanted. He, re- he healed all the people there. And then as it started to get dark, the disciples said, well, why don't you release the people to go home so that they can get some food and dinner and, and be gone for the evening? And Jesus said, well, why don't you feed them? They said, well, all we have is five loaves of bread and two fish. Jesus said, well, bring it to me. Jesus thanked God for it. And it multiplied to fill baskets full of food and fed roughly 10,000 people. Large group of people. And the Bible says 5,000 men. If there's 5,000 men in a room, how many women and children are in the room? A lot more. So probably somewhere between the number of 10 and 15,000 people have had this meal presented to them by Jesus. After the meal, Jesus tells the disciples, why don't you get in that boat and head to the other side of the lake? And then he dismisses the crowd and he goes on a mountainside to pray. Jesus spends the entire evening on that mountainside with his heavenly father, talking to God, sharing his heart with God, getting healing for his heart from God. And then the Bible says that he went out on the lake and walked on water. The waves were large and the boat was crashing around. The disciples saw Jesus walking on the water. They thought he was a ghost. Jesus said, I'm not a ghost, it's me. Peter said, if it's you, Jesus, ask me to come to you. So Jesus did, said, Peter, come to me. Peter got out of the boat, walked on water. But then when he saw the waves, he began to lose heart and faith and he began to sink and Jesus rescued him and took him back to the boat. And then the sea immediately calmed. They went to the other side of the lake. It was now dawn and there was a large group of people waiting for them and Jesus healed all of the sick. That's Matthew 14. Here's what I discovered in Matthew chapter 14 that Jesus had a very busy day. He's had, he's thousands of people are desiring his attention. Thousands of people are coming to seek his audience. Thousands of people are coming because they want him to heal their diseases and he wants an answer. They want answers for their life, for their daily life and for their circumstances and their deepest, darkest hurts and issues. And here's what's interesting. Jesus... All he wants to do is get away and spend time with his dad. He's got thousands of people around. And Jesus wants to get away because his heart is breaking. His answer for his very busy life was to spend time with his father. I noticed several things about Jesus during these two days that I thought were important about prayer, and I wanted to share them with you. The first is this, that Jesus wanted to pray when his heart was broken. Jesus wanted to talk to his heavenly father when his heart was broken. See, Jesus' cousin, John, was murdered unjustly and unfairly. As a result, his heart is broken and hurting. Now, most likely because Jesus and John were friends. 
Not only were they family, but they were cousins. They were friends. And, and remember, Jesus' mom and John's mom are best friends. When Mary is in the most difficult time in her life, when she's in the middle of this scandal where she's now pregnant and she's telling people, God got me pregnant. <laughs> Try that excuse. <laughs> I'm pregnant with God's baby. See how far that goes in your community. <laughs> See if that doesn't turn into a scandal. But here's Mary. The Holy Spirit got me pregnant. I have God inside of me. Obviously, probably nobody's listening to her and the only thing they want to do is stone her. So where does Mary go? She goes to Elizabeth's home. Elizabeth's pregnant too. And they have babies at the same time. And then because they're best friends, we can assume that Jesus and John grow up together. They, um, they are friends together. Uh, we, do, we have no context of what this means, but I'm sure that it must have been helpful that John's best friend was a perfect child. <laughs> I don't know if that was helpful for John or not. I'm sure Elizabeth and Zachariah at some point said, can't you be more like your cousin? <laughs> he never throws rocks or disobeys his parents. Can't you be more like Jesus? Or maybe Jesus just rubbed off on John and he was a good little boy too. I don't know. Probably not. Because <laughs> he was human and a boy. What we see is Jesus is now hurting. He's grieving for his friend, for his cousin, for his family member. And he probably just wanted to cry and talk to his father. You've probably had a moment like this in your life. Maybe you're having one now where you're sad, you're hurt, you're grieving. My question is, where do you take that grief? Where do you take that sadness? What do you do with it? How do you process it? What does it form in your life? Do, do those thoughts and do those feelings, do they form a, a, an improper way to live or do you take them to God and leave them at the foot of the cross and receive peace from him? See, in this moment, Jesus found a time to be with his father during his grief, during his pain. Here's another one. John has been unjustly and unfairly murdered. Has anybody else in the room had anything unjust and unfair happen in their life? <laughs> we all have, haven't we? We, we definitely see it all around the world. What do you do with injustice? What do you do with things that aren't fair? Do you take those things to God? Do you take those moments to God? And do you, those things that rack around in your brain and you think, Lord, why does all this injustice happen in our world? Do you take that to God? That's what Jesus did. He took that injustice to his father. Now, here's what's interesting. Could God have put John's head back on his body? Sure, God can do that. Could Jesus have raised him from the dead? He did it before. Sure, he could have. He could have done something miraculous, but he didn't. He simply, in the middle of his brokenness, went to his father. Here's what we need to, to understand that all of us are going to have times of brokenness. And injustice and things that are unfair are going to continue in our world. The only place, hear me, the only place we will ever find 
Relief is in God's presence. The only time we find perfect peace for these things in our life is in the presence of God Almighty. And that's where Jesus found himself, and that's where we need to find ourselves. But where do you go? Where do you go when your heart hurts? Do you go to a bag of chips and a chocolate bar? Maybe a friend? Maybe a shopping spree or a movie? Maybe you go share it on social media so the whole world knows you're hurting and you get a little relief from people liking your comment. Do you go to alcohol or drugs, whether they're legal or illegal? Or do you run to the presence of your heavenly father? See, what we discover is the top of the list doesn't really satisfy. The only thing that does is God's presence. See, Jesus modeled for us to go to our heavenly father when our heart is breaking. Another point of wisdom that I discovered in Matthew 18 that helps us focus on prayer is that Jesus wanted to talk to his father more than his friends. I thought that was interesting. That Jesus, his closest friends, he's saying, bye, take a hike. I need to go talk to my father. And sometimes that's kind of the opposite of us. Sometimes we say, I need to go find a good friend before we go talk to God. But in this case, when Jesus' heart is breaking and he really needs something in his life, Jesus puts his relationship with the heavenly father higher than his relationship with his friends. I think that's interesting because Jesus has people everywhere around him. He's not lacking for friendship. It's not like Jesus is saying, I don't have any friends. Woe is me. Who would I talk to about this? He just released 15,000 people. He has three very close friends, 12 great friends, 72 good friends, and crowds of people everywhere he went. If he needed someone to talk to, I'm sure there would have been someone. But Jesus is modeling something very important for us. What Jesus is modeling for us is that the most important relationship in our life is God the Father. And we should run to him in our times of chaos. That we should run to him in our times of brokenness that we should make sure that God gets our attention and that we take our lives to him. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with having friends. We talk about this all the time in the life of our church. We need relationships together to serve Christ together, but we should not put the horse or the, the cart before the horse, right? We gotta have our priorities correct. It should be God first and foremost at the top of the list, not friends. And that's what Jesus did. Have you noticed throughout the New Testament that Jesus was always disappearing? I find it interesting that all throughout the New Testament, Jesus is always disappearing to talk to the Father. And a lot of the times that he's disappearing are like some of his mountaintop moments. Like he's healing hundreds of people and then the next moment he's gone and you're like, where'd he go? And the disciples are running around trying to find Jesus and he's off in a prayer time with his father. And the disciples will say, hey, what are you doing? Everybody's looking for you. You're like the most popular person in the world right now. Why would you want to get away from that? 
I find that interesting that Jesus is always disappearing. And I began to think about that and mull that over and pray about that myself. Because for some reason, Jesus thought time with the Father was more important than anything that he was doing here. He always thought that time with his Father was more important than anything going on on the earth. And this baffled me. And as I began to process it, I felt like I got an answer. I think the answer is this, that Jesus had a unique perspective that none of us will ever have. See, Jesus lived in heaven before he lived on earth. Jesus is the only person that has ever lived a significant amount of time in heaven and on earth. None of us have ever done that. No human has ever done that. Only Jesus has spent a significant amount of time with the Father and a significant amount of time on earth. So here's what I discovered. Jesus knew something that we don't know. Jesus knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that nothing on earth compares to the Father. He knew that. Jesus knew he'd lived for 30, 30 years on the planet, and he knew nothing on this planet comes even close to being with God the Father. Nothing here can satisfy. And so what we see is Jesus walking away from all of these amazing things on our planet, and we're going, why would you do that? Because Jesus knows that everything on earth is nothing compared to the light of God's glory and grace. The challenge for you and I, though, is earth is the only thing we know. We don't know both perspectives. We only know one. We only know what we've experienced on earth. We only know what we see and what we hear and what we experience. But Jesus has experienced both, and he's always leaving the things of this world to be with God. He would leave the crowds. He'd leave popularity. He would leave fame. He would leave power. He was always leaving all of the things of this world to go spend time with his father. Maybe we should do the same. Maybe we should do the same. Because there are hundreds of masks in our world. Each of us have them. But as mankind, we've created all of these masks in our world that we think will solve our broken heart, that we think will solve the injustices in our world. But these masks, they just don't heal. They just don't heal our heart. They don't answer our deepest questions. They just mask everything so that we can make it through another day. And whatever that mask is, we put it on and it carries us through the day and then we've made it another 24 hours. But God says, would you come to me? Would you come and be in my presence and give me your mask and give me your problems and give me your life and give me your situations and give me your broken heart and give me all the things that you think aren't just and fair in this world? Would you just come and be in my presence? I guarantee you something will happen. You'll come into my presence with a deep burden, but you'll leave my presence 
feeling light as air. And that's why Jesus models for us how important it is to be in God's presence. Now, was anything solved by being in God's presence with the death of John? No. Except for what Jesus needed. I find that interesting. Many times we go into God's presence because we want him to solve the problem. He doesn't want to solve the problem. He just wants to be with you. And what we discover is that when we spend time in God's presence, we leave his presence and we recognize the problem's still there, but it's not that big a deal anymore because I just spent time with God and he's so big that my problem just became really small. That's why God wants us to spend time with him. To understand how great he is, how enormous he is, so that everything else in our life will become small. I also think that the way you and I go and spend time with God is a good indication of where we're at with God. How am I doing with God? Where am I at with him? What's my faith like? If I was going to do a little test of my faith, I could find out where I'm at with God by just saying, when my heart is broken or when I when I need to talk about something and just something's bothering me, do I go talk to God or do I go talk to my friends? See, I think that's a great way to discover how close we are with God. If when something's bothering us or something happens in our life and it's hurting us and we quickly go to God, then we know that God's really important in our life. But if we go everywhere else first, I got to post about this on Facebook and just see what the world thinks. And, and I got to go talk to grandma about that. And then I'm going to call my friend and we talk for a couple hours. And then somebody like your pastor says, should you talk to God about that? And you go, oh yeah, maybe. Might be an indication of how important God is. Sounds more like your order is Facebook, grandma, friends, God. And you need to flip it. God, and then it should be grandma, come on, <laughs> grandma, friends, Facebook, right? Actually, Facebook, we can move down a couple more. But putting aside everything to talk with God is a great way for us to kind of test where we're at with God and discover if he's the most important thing in our life. The last thing I noticed about prayer during Jesus' life is this. Jesus made time to be with the Father. Now follow me. I put made in quotes because this is the point. Jesus had to make time to be with the Father. See, he was very busy. Lots of people wanting his attention. Everywhere he went, he couldn't get away from people from the busyness of his life and the busyness of his world. So Jesus had to make time. He had to take time to be with his father. Because if he didn't, it would be taken from him. And somebody would come and suck up his time. So Jesus had to make time. I also found something very interesting about Jesus, and that is, did you notice that Jesus was always very busy, but he was never in a hurry? I find that interesting. 
He's always very busy, but never in a hurry. Like the time when uh, some of his friends came and said, hey, your good buddy Lazarus, he's super sick and he's about to die. And Jesus says, eh, like, wouldn't, shouldn't you be in a hurry right now to, to go help your friend? And Jesus is like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> now everyone around him is going, what's going on with this guy? I thought they were good friends. Now they didn't realize that Jesus was going to go in a couple days and raise Lazarus from the dead. But the point is, Jesus never let anything affect him like that. He didn't just like freak out about something and get all anxious about everything and worried about everything. He just lived his life and he did what he was supposed to do every day. And by the way, sometimes that something to do was nothing. Just go hang out with your buddies in a boat. Sometimes that's what he needed to do or get lost all night on a mountainside. See, he knew how to perfectly balance his life as opposed to us in our American culture. We're, we're so busy that we're creating less and less margin in our lives all the time. And this busyness is starting to hurt us. Without margin in our life, we're, we're hurting relationships. See, margin, if we had more margin in our life, more time in our life, less busyness in our life, we could use that time to help relationships grow to help communities prosper, to serve the needy, to grow in wisdom and knowledge, to help the hurting, and to present the gospel to the world. But because we don't have any time, all of those things go by the wayside. See, be, being busy is affecting our relationships. Being busy is moving us further apart from one another, and our busyness can easily cause selfishness because we're so spread thin that we use our remaining time on ourselves and, and then add to that the trick of technology because now we think, oh, I'm so connected. I've got 500 Facebook friends. And you say, Pastor Mark, you only have 500? Jeez. Very friendly. We think we're connected because we're connected electronically. Well, I sent you a Snapchat last week. We must be good, right? Nah, I haven't seen your eyes for a week and we're married. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but the Snapchat. Being busy also conflicts with our spiritual disciplines. We're too busy to pray, too busy to read God's word, too busy to hang out with one another in small groups and develop relationships so that we can grow in Christ together, too busy to serve, too busy to go to church on Sunday, too busy to just do life together. We got to break out of this. That means as very busy people, we need to be like Jesus and we need to make time. We need to make time with God and we need to make time to do the things that God's word asks us to do. Now look at how Jesus made time. There's two instances here where Jesus made time, where he intentionally, on purpose, made time to be with God. The first is when he, when he first hears about John being killed, the first thing he does is he gets in a boat and he heads out into the lake. That's how Jesus intentionally got away. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I happen to practice this one often. <laughs> I practice this one often. I love it. It's biblical for me to attach my boat to my truck, pull it to a lake. Oh, put my fishing pole in first. Drive to the lake and fish all afternoon and evening. Now, if you've never done that before, that's okay, but just follow me for a second. I put my boat in the water. It's a nice, great day, not very windy. The lake's like glass. And the only thing disrupting it is my Rapala lure landing in the water and a giant bass <laughs> attaching itself to the end of my line. And as I, in a very godly fashion, reel that in, <laughs> give it a kiss and release it back into the lake. There is something so peaceful about that action. I said, Pastor Mark, I don't like the fish. Okay, then just get in the boat with me because here's what will happen next. The sun will start to set and you'll see the pine trees and the sun will be reflecting off the water and the geese will start to get up and fly around and they're honking and getting up and flying and the osprey start to hunt and you discover they're way better fishermen than you are. And it's super peaceful. And it's really nice. And the sun sets. And it's one of the most beautiful things in the world. And you just, at some point, I almost always end up with my pole just sitting next to my chair. And I just listen to God. I talk to God. And I just sit in his peace. There's something extremely peaceful about it. But let me say this. Maybe you don't have a boat, and maybe you don't like the water. You need to find out where your place is. That's my place. I love it. I love the outdoors, and I love moments like that. But maybe that's not you. Maybe Starbucks is you. Then you need to go to Starbucks. Maybe taking a walk is you. Then take a walk. You say, Pastor Mark, I got three kids and a husband to take care of. No, that's why you have a husband, to take care of your three kids so you can get lost. I'm serious. I'm serious right now. Husbands, take care of your kids for four hours so your wife can go get lost and go talk to Jesus. I guarantee you she'll be a better wife when she comes back than when she left. Because wives, when you get in God's presence, you'll become better wives. And husbands, when you get in God's presence, you'll become better husbands. And we'll be, have better marriages. It's true. So help each other out because you're going to have to make time. Secondly, Jesus made time after he fed thousands of people. So here's 10 to 15,000 people. They're all vying for his attention. They all have questions and things to be healed and they want to touch him and be around him. And he tells his disciples that are the most attention-getting, leave. Get in that boat and start rowing. And then he tells the crowd, go home, see you later. And as he sends them off in the dark, he disappears. 
He intentionally told his disciples, those closest to him, sayonara. And he told the crowd, I'm done with you. See, he intentionally made time to be with his father. He got rid of all the distractions in his life. The disciples could be a distraction because what if Jesus said, I want to be with God the Father in the boat, so could you guys be quiet? <laughs> that ain't going to work, is it? Because every single one of them is going, man, I got to ask a question about the bread and the fish. Like, how did you do that? Could you tell us the three-step process to making bread reproduce? <laughs> like, you know they're not going to let that question go. And so he gets rid of the disciples and he gets rid of a crowd. All of his distractions are now gone. But Jesus had to make that happen. He had to dictate that situation so that he could get the time he needed with his father. And I'm going to tell you this morning, as busy as we are, you're going to have to do the same. You're going to have to control your home and your life and your situation to go spend time with your father. You're going to have to make it happen. You're going to have to take the time and make it your own. Because if you don't make the time, it will be taken from you. We have to put our distractions aside to be with God. You might even have to make a plan. Like some of our lives are so busy, put it on your calendar, on your phone. Time with Jesus. And your phone will make a little beeping sound. And then you'll go, oh, what was I supposed to do right now? Spend time with Jesus. Cool, I'm free right now. I'll go do that. Or maybe you just need to make a plan. You know your life better than anyone else. You might have to get up earlier. You might have to not watch TV in the morning. You might have to take the kids to school, take care of all that, come home, do your time with Jesus. You might have to not turn the TV on at night, spend time with Jesus at night. You might have to find a quiet place on your lunch break. See, you and I, I believe, we're going to have to make time to be with our Heavenly Father. Now, in closing, you may say, Pastor Mark, what do I do once I've made time? Once I've figured that part out, once I've put it on my calendar, once I've carved out part of my schedule and I've made time, what do I do now? Let me just give you a couple things to do. First of all, you could read God's word. Just find yourself lost in God's word somewhere. Doesn't really matter where. You can make a plan to read through the Bible too. But just find a spot in God's word and start reading. And when you're done reading, maybe it's one verse, maybe it's 50, doesn't matter. When you're done reading, think about it. Don't just put it aside. Think about it. Read it, put it down, and then just think. There's an old word for this. It's called meditation. It's not a yoga thing. It's a God thing. We can redeem it. It's fine. Meditation, it just simply means to sit and ponder. So sit and ponder God's word. 
Think about the story you just read. Think about the things that God said, the things God did, the situation that happened in the story you read, or the commandments or the encouragement you got. So read God's word and then think about it. Next, talk to God. He loves for you to talk to him. Say, Pastor Mark, all I am right now is mad at him. Okay, tell him you're mad at him. Seriously, it's okay that I'm mad at God? Yeah, it is. I don't know if you knew this, but he's pretty big. He's not going to be like, oh, not going to happen. He's just going to say, Mark, thanks for sharing your heart with me. What's making you mad? The Niners suck. I mean, they are so bad. Could you do something about that guy? And could you also kill every sex trafficker? Just while you're at it. Since we're talking about impossible things, my football team and sex trafficking, could we do something about those two things? And God will say, well, maybe I want you to do something about that. Remember, you're my representation in the world. Maybe you should do something about it. And here's what I'll do. I'll empower you to do it. I'm going to provide you with some other people, with some gifts, some talents, some money. And you're going to go start arresting sex slaves. It's going to be awesome. The other thing, your football team, I don't care. I don't care about the 49ers. I don't care about the Seahawks. I don't care about the NFL or Major League Baseball. I don't care. It's temporary. It's only a little moment for your little life. Can you get out of your sports for a moment and recognize that there's 7 billion people on the planet and about 6.5 billion of them are going to hell? Get out of yourself for a moment. Talk to God. And then listen to him. Listen to him. Because he wants to talk to you. He wants to tell you how special you are. He wants to tell you how awesome you are. He wants to tell you that when you were in your mother's womb, he fashioned you and he created you and he molded you and he shaped you. And you are an amazing, miraculous marvelous human being. And you're so special that he was willing to go to a cross for you. He wants to tell you that. He wants to answer some of your deepest questions and talk to you about some of your darkest secrets and heal some of the things that you've left locked in a closet for a really long time, so much so that now they're such a part of your life as just like your arm. And he says, I want to I touch that. I want to heal that. I want to remove that so that's not a part of your life and you get to live in a healthy way. So read, meditate, talk, listen, write. Go get a 15-cent spiral binder from Walmart and start writing stuff down. Start writing down everything God says to you while you're with him. Just start writing Bible verses down. Write prayer requests down. Just write everything you 
feel and sense and hear while you're in God's presence. And then lastly, I'm going to ask you to do something just radically difficult that we don't do in our culture very much. Just sit and do nothing. Just sit there. Don't talk. Don't read. Don't write. Just sit in his peace. Just sit in his love. Just sit in his joy. Just sit in his forgiveness. Just sit in his grace. Now, here's what I know. Here's what I know from my life, and here's what we see from Jesus' life and what we see modeled from others' lives in the Bible. I'm going to use Jesus as my first example. When you're done being in God's presence, here's how you'll feel. And especially if you spend all night with him and you just give him everything of you. When you're done, you will feel like you can walk on water. That's how you'll feel. When you're done spending time with God, you'll feel like it doesn't even matter if they throw me in a pit with lions. I don't care. When you get done spending time with God, a nine-foot giant looks like an ant. That's what happens when you and I spend time with God in his presence. And I want to encourage you this morning to make your prayer time, to make your time in God's presence the most important thing every day of your life. I believe it would radically change you. It would radically change our church. It would radically change our community as we went out into it. And we could radically change our world if we all started getting in God's presence on a regular daily basis and simply got a better relationship with him. Would you pray with me this morning?